Welcome to the Constructing Greatness Podcast, where I will be sharing real stories with inspiring tradesmen and many other driven and passionate leaders in construction and various other industries. I'm your host, Nicholas Ofak, and I've been in the construction business since 1996 as a construction manager and have worked for some of the largest builders in the United States. I'm now a business owner entrepreneur, and partner in a firm where we've successfully managed to be listed on the Inc. 5000, America's fastest growing private companies, three years in a row. The main purpose of this podcast is to inspire and create awareness about the value of working in the trades and to educate about the great benefits and rewarding opportunities it can create. Are you ready to take this fun journey with me? Let's do it. For the past eight years, RDL Construction LLC has been servicing the New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, and Maryland markets, specializing in the installation of exterior and interior metal framing, drywall, acoustical ceilings, doors, and hardware, along with bathroom accessories and FRP. Check them out. Their website is RDL Construction LLC. Dot com. I wanted to have today's guest on today. For one, he's a good friend, known him for about 10 plus years, but we've also had very similar career paths. And I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about the different companies he's been with. And uh, oddly enough, all the big construction companies he's been with, I've probably been with all the others. There is no overlap. I met John, when he was the director of construction at Temple University, approximately 10, 10 plus years ago, John McCarroll, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. Has it been 10 years? Wow. It's uh, quite a few jobs ago, huh? At least for one of us. Yeah, I, I estimated about that. Yeah, 10, 11, something like that. But you know what? That's interesting. I guess we've, between both of us, we've worked for all of the major CMs. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking yeah, at the list. Yeah. I don't know. In if we Philadelphia. Them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For you. Uh, yeah. The ones at Driscoll, Hunter Roberts, those are the two that I definitely have not worked for, but I probably checked most of the other boxes. Yes, you have, man. We've been talking about trying to schedule this for some time. I'm glad yeah. you could, could join me. And I, I just wanted to circle back to, you know, the very beginning, obviously your education from Drexel and Temple. You have a uh, BS at Drexel for construction management, and then you have master's of science and business, one at Temple and one at Drexel. Did you get those master's degree at the same time? Were you taking those classes at the same time? I'm looking at the timeline here. I, I did. I, I started the Drexel one first. That was an MS yeah, in construction and real estate. And then when I switched over and started working at Temple, you know, the great thing about Temple was your education is free. So I had always thought about doing my MBA, but, you know, it was kind of cost prohibitive. So then when I was at Temple, it was like, I got to go get it. So I went and started my MBA. So yeah, for a brief period of time, maybe about two years, I was in two different grad degree grad degree programs at night doing them simultaneously, which, you know, and also a new dad too, to twins. So to say it had it to be interesting, <laughs> absolutely crazy time in my life, uh, but well worth it. <laughs> um, I'm sure buddy. 
I wanted to ask first off, why construction management? What drove you, you know, that path? Yeah. Yeah. So always knew that I wanted to be in construction of some sort, you know, from the family upbringing. Um, And I think we'll get into that a little bit later. So initially I thought construction via the college route was civil engineering. And I went and did the civil engineering. And then when I took an elective, which was a construction management class, I was like, wow, I think I really, really, this is, I don't want to be civil engineering construction management, which I didn't know was a, was a degree option. And then went and did a, my, a co-op with Intech and that between the co-op working at Intech and doing the construction management elective, I was like, this is really what I want to do, be out in the field working on the job site, you know, building, you know, cool stuff. So that's kind of, I pivoted from the civil engineering over to the construction management. I did the exact same thing, man. I can feel you there. Definitely wanted to be out there in the field. So you started as an assistant project manager at Intech Construction and then you were you were a project engineer, which is very similar to an assistant project manager, different title at Turner. Just talk about that role as an assistant PM, APM, they call them, project engineer. Just talk a little bit about the role for those those companies. Yeah, sure. First at uh, at Intech, you know, was paired up with a uh, project manager. Still keep in touch with him to this day. He's the uh, head at Mid Atlantic Construction. And, um, you know, so I was paired up with him. We had a couple projects and, you know, I was his right hand. Submittals, change orders, logs, punch lists, equal parts field and office. And just, you know, trying to absorb everything that goes into, you know, the execution side of, of the project from when it was, you know, after it's awarded and bought out of, um, yeah doing all that. A lot of it's grunt work, you know, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're young, not paid much, but uh, you just want to learn, 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 learn as much as you yeah. can. Um, still remember my first project, you know, it was Locust on the Park, which was a Dranoff building and, uh, you know, converting it from an old Bible manufacturing facility into luxury loft, loft apartments. At the time, I think it was like a $20 million project, which, you know, I thought was just just a massive project and, you know, come a long way from there, but, uh, in tech, you know, great, great firm learned a lot from those guys. Contrasting that to what you asked about the project engineer at Turner, right. So going from us at the time in tech was, you know, much smaller than they are today to Turner and working in New York city, um, you know, always wanted to work on a, on a high rise. So it's the 383 Madison, you know, several hundred million dollar project at the time. It was, I think, like a, a 11th tallest building in the world, you know, so you were, cool. yeah, but I was one person on a team of like 50, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I was doing, I had like one trade in like the lobby, you know, which was still, it was, you're managing a lot of work, but you were like this tiny little piece to a really big puzzle. So, you know, we're in tech, you were on, you know, it was you and one other guy on the whole entire job, you know, Turner, you were one piece of a team. So huge differences. Learned a lot at, at both of them. 
What was the total volume of that project you're on in New York? Do you remember? Yeah, the, yeah it was, I want to say uh, it's in the like three to $400 million range. And that was like, you know, $2,000, you know, cause it was, I left there shortly after 9-11 happened. Project like that's probably well over a billion now. Oh yeah. Just to give people perspective. I mean, that's massive. Yeah, that's absolutely. massive. And then uh, you you transitioned to HSC builders and construction managers and as a project manager. And talk a little bit about the roles there, which you did after that as well. You went to Piagnus and just in comparison on how that role is the same and or different for those two firms. Yeah, I, very similar, Nick. Very similar companies in terms of market sectors, structure, size. You know, so I was looking to get out of, of New York City uh, after 9-11 and had actually uh, interviewed with both of them and wound up going with uh, HSC, great company, specializes mostly in biotech, pharma, heads and meds. So that was my first job, you know, being the main person, right? So project manager, right? Started small at Intech, you know, then super huge at Turner, now back to you know, the smaller side, you know, so managing several projects at a time, but smaller projects, you know, a couple million, 10 million at most had a project engineer and APM at your side, helping you with the stuff that you used to do yourself, you know, which is, I think important, right? Like you need to learn and understand what you're asking other people do. So that uh, mostly adds and meds is what I worked at, at HSC. Very similar to P. Agnes, both smaller, privately held companies, but operated different too. Probably difference just in how they handled certain things. HSC had bigger, you know, accounting departments. P. Agnes uh, put more of that on the PMs, gave the PM a bit more autonomy than, say, HSC did. You know, not no right or wrong with either. Just interesting to see, right, looking back, how different companies, you know, handle different processes internally from a manpower perspective. Mm -hmm. Central purchasing, or you can purchase in the field, you know, different responsibilities. Yeah, absolutely. They do vary and it's all great experience. Yep, absolutely. And then you took a nice opportunity with Temple University as the director of construction where, where we met yeah, um, I believe I was with Hunter Roberts at the time when we met. And then that's when I transitioned eventually to where I'm at now. Talk about that. You were there for over five years. Yeah. Timing wise, I think was uh, around 2009. I was becoming a dad, had twins on the way. And, uh, you know, 2009 financially where the world was, was not the greatest. Mm hmm. I, you know, in construction, you, know, you usually hear you're, you're only as good as your next job. You're wrapping up work, wondering what that next assignment was going to be. And I ran into, you know, a guy at, a, at an alumni event who was at Temple and looking for some help on the owner's side. And I kind of said, well, you know, I'm not sure what's going on here. Things are kind of tight. I'm becoming a dad. So now all of a sudden I'm going to you know, have much more, you know, responsibility for other people. So I went, uh, and Temple was a client of P. Agnes's. So I went, yeah, I remember going to Pat Pascarello 
in saying, hey, you know, I got this uh, opportunity at Temple, but, you know, I'm, I like to think I'm loyal to you, but I'm not really sure what's happening. And he said, hey, you're right. It's, thing, you know, it's tight times. Why don't you go and explore that Temple opportunity? And if it doesn't work out, you know, give it six months, you know, times hopefully will be better here. You, you know, come back. Long story short, I went and gave it a try and uh, things worked out through a series of, of happenings. I was able to work my way up the ladder at Temple uh, pretty quickly from, you know, got hired as a PM and within a short period of time, I went from assistant director to director on the healthcare side to director of, of the whole entire university, kind of being in the right place at the right time with some reorgs. So yeah, you know, it's own set of uh, challenges being on the owner side, you know, it was the first time where, you know, on the owner side, I mean, you know, it now as a business owner, you know, everybody wants to be your friend when you're on the owner's side, when you're the one giving out, you know, several hundred million dollars worth of work a year. Everybody's your friend. No one's saying no to your requests and what you're asking for them to do. Really, it just gives you a different perspective. You know, people say the difference is there's a lot of similarities, right? You're at that same table. You're just at a different seat. I still had, you know, the deans or whoever our internal clients were that we were executing the projects on behalf of, right? Those were, you know, our clients and dealing with, you know, the CMs, it was nice to move on to not having to deal with the subcontractors for a change, right? You spend your whole career managing subs and now you're like, well, I don't have to deal with subs anymore. This is kind of nice. So, um, yeah, just different perspective, you know, saying you're in the same game, you're at the same table, you're just in different seats, getting different angles or, or views, you know, your lens is, is different. And yeah, that's when, you know, I got to witness you, right? I think it was Pierce McGonigal mm-hmm. that you were uh, finishing up for Hunter Roberts. And I remember, right, you pestering me, you know, for that opportunity, you were going out on your own. Come on, mm-hmm. just give me a shot, give me a shot. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad that worked out well for, for both of us because, you know, that was the start of a long relationship for both of us. Absolutely. And that Pearson McGonagall, you know, overbuild, that was my favorite project to date. Still is. Really enjoyed that. I mean, obviously, it's it's a sports facility, and I used to work out there, you know, when I was in college. So a lot of a lot of history there and, and, you know, just changing that building, connecting the two and then overbuild. I believe that was the first overbuild at, at Temple University's campus. Uh, it was uh, very challenging, very rewarding. It just had a little bit of everything to it, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And, and still, still, when you go back to campus this time later, it still stands out. It, it turned out wonderfully. Yeah, it was a great project. Hey guys, it's Nick. I have a short message from our sponsor, MPC Builders. With well over 40 years of combined construction-related experience in both the residential and commercial markets, MPC Builders services the New Jersey and Philadelphia metro areas. Check out our website at mpcbuilders.net or you can call me directly at 856-217-1750 and I'd be happy to answer any questions you have about your construction project. And then you took another great opportunity at a great company, Brandywine Realty Trust, which is more of a developer property manager. And uh, you were the senior director of construction there. 
Talk about that transition on that side. Yeah. So, you know, talked about getting my MBA at uh, Temple and going and getting that grad degree, learning how businesses operate, getting really excited and kind of knowing, hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to have my degree shortly and just thinking what next. And then this opportunity with Brandywine comes along, you know, they were still growing. They were doing their capital thing, you know, with the likes of, you know, Evo and Sierra Center. But they also had this need with all their existing assets. So I came in, you know, to a newly created role and I was managing all of their existing assets and running a team that handled all the TI, tenant improvement work in all their existing buildings. So got to work for a company, you know, publicly traded, would sit on, you know, these calls with the analysts, you know, everything that's getting reported, you know, they're, everything's about, you know, their, the shareholder earnings. So everything, you know, that I was learning in grad school, I was experiencing, you know, every day in the office or on calls, which is really neat to get a bird's eye view of how a publicly traded company operates. And, you know, they're, you know, class A trophy office building company. So, I mean, still to this day, probably the most impressive organization from, you know, top to bottom. A lot of that is, you know, from the top, right, the leadership We'll probably talk about that a little later, but, you know, the CEO, founder, Jerry Sweeney sets the tone for that company, just a very inspiring individual and um, just how he leads and and motivates from the top and how that such a competitive atmosphere there too, right? Just everybody bringing their best, Uh, you know, a lot of Wharton guys there, just a lot of just sharp guys who are just constantly challenging you to be better, you know, and knowing that, you know, what you did on a daily basis and how it contributed, you know, overall to the profitability of the company. And I think, you know, a lot of that I never really saw on the construction side, whether it was, you know, wasn't at the, you know, the the level position where I was seeing, you know, financially or just, you know, certain companies and, you know, when you're privately traded, you can handle things a bit differently than, you know, from an accounting point of view and, just Brandywine was very transparent with stuff and really got to, to see and understand from a business sense, right? And I think we'll probably, you know, some of that stuff, you know, excites you a little bit when you've got that entrepreneurial spirit already in you and you kind of see it and you're like, oh, this is interesting. Oh, I see how, what's EBITDA? How does this affect your bottom line? You know, just all that stuff. Seeing all the pieces of the puzzle getting put together right before you was pretty cool. So, um, yeah, that was what I did at, uh, at Brandywine. Remarkable company. They still, you know, continue what they're doing today with, you know, school yards and everything. It's just in what they've done for Philadelphia is just, it's incredible. Very, very well said, John. I mean, just the explanation of what you did there and what they do exactly. I mean, you were on the construction side, right? And then you have the other side of the business more on the developer. And you want to talk a little bit about how you worked with the other side? Yeah, yeah, sure. So they had a couple main developers um, who, who names they'd go out and put all the deals together or, or source the deals to go out and hunt them. And we, the construction supported the development, right? So whatever it was they needed. 
hey, you know, it could be, hey, we've got a prospective tenant, right, for this building, or we're going to build, right, a lot of times you have a project, it pencils, but it does not pass start until you've got, say, an anchor tenant, right, because you need the anchor tenant to for your financials, for the banks, whatever it may be. So, hey, we've got a potential anchor tenant here, and we would handle, right, the test fits, and we'd go out and, and put the budgets together for the developers to give them, you know, ballpark ideas of what the construction costs were going to be, right? And they take those numbers and does it pencil out? Hopefully it does, you know, and, and the job would move or project would move forward. Or you're competing, right? You have a, a company that's looking at four different possible locations and one of them's Brandywine and three others are their competitors, so the developers are relying on you and your relationships with, you know, the CMs to deliver accurate, timely budgets back to them so they could, see, you know, take those numbers. Does it pencil out? If it does, you know, what kind of offer can we make to this prospective tenant to see, you know, if we can make that deal go, right? And sometimes, you know, if it's really big, right, then you... You, know, you get your name on the building like FMC negotiated with, you know, that awesome FMC tower that they built. Good stuff. And then from a general contractor perspective, you know, John and I did some business there when he was with Brandywine and you know, they would send out RFPs to what, John, three, four, five different GCs. And then we have to bid it. And then, you know, the winning bidder GC, that's who you would use for that tenant. Yeah. And what would we give you, like three days to turn a number around or something like that? It was, <laughs> it it was, was the <laughs> quickest turnaround ever, yes. It was never more than seven days. <laughs> no, and, you know, and, and that was always driven by, right, by the brokers, right? Because it's the brokers wanted the numbers so they can go back to their um, prospective tenants, right, to see if they could get, it, get, it, get them lined up before the competitors got their numbers back. Yep. <laughs> Funny how that's come full circle for me now, you know. Yeah, I hear you. No, that was uh, that was always the talk with, you know, me and my business partner, like how quickly we got to turn that around because, it, I mean, it's resources, obviously, to to be able to turn that around quickly. And but whenever we did land a project with you, it always was a good one. You guys were great to deal with. And then you had another nice opportunity with High Concrete Group. How did that come about? I didn't think you were going to go there. Yeah, that was uh, yeah, that's one I don't talk a whole lot about. Okay. Um, but you know, Hey, full, full disclosure, right. We all, you know, you got to learn from your mistakes too. Right. It came about, you know, recruiter, great opportunity dangled a title of vice president, a good bit more money, right. Financially it looked attractive Yeah. and you know, it was, didn't make the, the greatest decision going in and chasing the title and chasing the money. And, you know, it happens. Yeah. But, and, you know, learned a lot from that, but, you know, ultimately and high as an organization, great, you know, great fam, private family uh, company headquartered in, uh, in Lancaster with several businesses, right. Construction, precast concrete, steel, hotels, you know, probably a few more that I'm not even remembering, but great family organization, but kind of the one thing that, uh, you know, I realized that I was not right if, of, and why the big reason why it wasn't a good fit for me was location, right? I'm a, 
I grew up in, in New Jersey, went to school in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the market I know where most of my contacts and relationships are. I was in an environment that I was, you know, it was like a fish out of water. I, I wasn't a, I wasn't a Lancaster County boy and just realized that that wasn't me and that wasn't the right fit for me or my family. So yeah, so that's kind of, it, it was a short stay of, of about a year, but uh, yeah, it was learned a lot from it. And, you know, he was, you know, just. Yeah. Great. I mean, great share. And, and it's great for our listeners too, to realize that it's not always about the money. You know, it's not always about the title. And like you said, the travel time, the location, like, is it worth, you know, how much I, I've had this conversation so many times, how much value is there when you can work from your home or you can, your commute is 10, 15 minutes. I mean, there's a lot of value there and absolutely, it's something that didn't work out. You learn, you learn from it, but I think everyone has things like that in their career path, you know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I certainly do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Have you ever heard of aeroponic gardening? It's the future of gardening and it is here now. Developed by NASA and Epcot, this gardening system goes upright so it takes up less space as well as 98% less water. It is dirtless and produces three times more fruits and vegetables at a 30% faster rate. If you're looking to change up the way you eat or want to try a gardening system that takes minimal effort, contact my old friend Tara at 717-433-4207 or check out for more information at T-Sesek, that's T-S-A-K-S-E-K dot TowerGarden.com. You are... Now at Gilbane Building Company, and for people that don't know, Gilbane is ENR ranked number ten as of, in 2020, which ENR is Engineer News Record, which is considered a top ten contractor in the United States and and even the world, I believe. Right, John? Yeah. Yep. And I, I just saw they moved up to number ten, and you transitioned into a business development role. How has that been? And when did you know you wanted to go to the BD route, which is what we call business development, BD? I don't think I knew until it was brought upon me and proposed by the guy who hired me, right? So if you go back and right, you said we've known each other 10 years, right? And our relationship uh, back from my time when I was at P. Agnes, I worked for with a guy there, uh, Sean Carlin, who's now the business unit leader at Kilbane for the Philadelphia office. And, you know, just another guy that I'd always kept in touch with over the app from when I left P. Agnes. You know, there's a time when I was bidding work to him at Temple, just someone I, you know, I kept in touch with, maintained a relationship. He was a good guy. And after you know, 25 years at P. Agnes, he moved on from there to go over for this great opportunity at Kilbane and kind of watched what he was doing and would run into him at Eagles games or at networking events, ask him how it's going, what he's doing. And then, you know, he's probably a year into his time here and he reached out to me and said, uh, you know, hey, I want to talk to you about an opportunity. And, uh, you know, I was, wasn't at high long and I said, nah, I, I can't, you know, like, I just, you know, 
And he said, no, it's, it's for a unique role. And I said, okay, I'm listening. He said, what do you think about business development? I said, I don't have any experience selling. And he said, I, you know, I disagree. You know, you've, you know, you've got a lot of interaction with BD folks from your time when you were on the owner's side at, at, uh, at Brandywine and Temple. And I said, okay, that's good points. And when you're a people person and you've got, you know, 20 years worth of, of relationships, you know, and, you know, you just, you know, a lot of people and you've interacted with owners and architects and engineers and you just, so I said, wow, you know, it's interesting. I never really thought about that from that way. And kind of knowing that things weren't right with me at high thought about it, talked it over. And I said, you know what, Hey, if, if someone that I consider, you know, a good friend sees something in me that maybe I don't see myself, I think I just, I'm that type of person where, wow, I just need to, right. Just jump out and and grab it and, and see what happens. Right. Take, so I took that chance and probably my only regret is that I didn't do it sooner because, you know, we talk about, talk about a role aligning with, with someone's capabilities and, and just personality. Personality. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's just, you know, the three or so years I've been doing it, it's, it's just been a blast just to think, you know, I get paid to do some of the, the cool stuff that I get to do going to conferences and, you know, taking people out to dinner or games, and, you golf. know, I was waiting. Yeah, I was going to let you say the golf and golf and, <laughs> You know, no, no secret that I like to play golf, right? And then cigar functions. Yeah, you're you're talking my language. (laughs) Yep. No, absolutely. So, um, yeah. So it was Sean that really kind of saw it in me, and I took that kind of leap of faith, and we've been having having a lot of fun. Yeah. Every time I see you, you just have a smile on your face and, and it it's just uh, you love what you're doing, and and uh, it shows, and your ability to to develop relationships. I mean, I, when I heard that you were doing that BD, well, I think it was from the herd. Like you told me <laughs> when you told me, I just knew like, I'm like, he's going to crush it. He's going to crush it because again, you're back to business development. It's developing and building relationships, right? I mean, that's, that's really what it is. And, and maintaining those relationships for, for the long term, And uh, you do it very well. Thank you. You're very welcome. So let's talk about the back to golf and cigars. And uh, you also are a big fan of running. Three things that we uh, we uh, share <laughs> likenesses on. You started uh, running. You had a goal for running. What was that goal? Did you set that in 2020 or what? No, no, it's it's uh, yeah, I actually need to. It, it's been some time since I checked in on it, maybe about two months but no, it's a 2021 goal. I did have one for 2020, but the the, the one I went public on in 2021, right? I, I, nothing better than accountability than being accountable, right? On social media. So I put out there on LinkedIn that among other things, my goal was to run uh, 500 miles in uh, 2021. So, uh, I mean, the good news is I did a race in May where over the course of, you know, 36 hours or so, I ran 111 miles. So I, I took a, you know, 20% chunk out of that goal in, you know, two days coming off of, you know, a base of, I forget how many I had going into that. So, yeah, I mean, I think goes, and Nick, we've talked about it, right? Like goals, KPIs, right? That which you, you know, can measure is something you can improve upon. And with me and running and and running at great distance, it's just like, 
you know, I'm not, my kids, you know, did you win the race? I'm like, no, I didn't, you know, I, I'm not super fast and whatever. And I wasn't doing it to win, but I was kind of just trying to beat myself, right. That trying to always race against that better version of yourself that you want to be. And just always striving, striving for more. And, you know, I think when you set goals, career goals, personal, whatever your goals may be and put them out there, have an accountability partner or just something to make them make it known that this is what you're trying to do. And I think that's just a surefire way to, for success, right. For you, you know, we've talked about, if you, you know, in mindset too, you talk about something and talk it into action, right? Like I want to run, you know, 500 miles, put it out there, break it down, right? Someone says, you know, 500 miles is a lot. I'm like, okay, well, let's break it down. If I run 12 months in a year, that's, it becomes a lot smaller. And if I take 12 months and break it down, you know, into four weeks per month, right? You're like, oh, okay, that's only 30 miles a week, you know, and 30 miles a week is only a couple miles each day. You know, if you want to run each day, so it's just, you know, break it down and. That's called um, reverse engineering, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my goal is to golf as much as you do in 2021. <laughs> can can you help me with that? <laughs> Absolutely. I think the most I've golfed, and we've talked about this, was 27 times. And I think you tripled that, didn't you? You tripled that 27 times in, in a year? You were, you're probably 75-ish. <laughs> depend, it depends on how many people are going to see this podcast. And not there. That's yes, great. I think my high, what's my high water mark? You, you probably know the number better than I what is, what it was. <laughs> yeah. And this year for my goals for those three that I got public on and it was just, it was simple. It was, you know, the, the factor of five. So I said, I want to run 500 miles. I think I want to swim 50,000 yards and I want to golf 50 times, really 52, you know, so it's an average of one a week. And even though I'm not obviously golfing 12 months out of the year, Good news is I think, you know, if I did the tallies coming up for end of August, I'm like pretty much as long as I have an average September and October, I'll, I'll hit that goal. You're right there. Um, yeah. yeah. I'll hit my swimming goals. I haven't swam much in the summer, but I'll hit them in the fall. I mean, good news is, is I'll hit all three of those goals. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure you will. And, and outside of those items, what, what else are you passionate about? So one thing, right, giving back in, you know, community, and I sit on the board on a uh, not-for-profit called Cannonball Kids Cancer, which is a family that we met on their trips up from Florida to Philadelphia when their 18-month-old son was diagnosed with stage 4 neuroblastoma. Yeah, good news is Cannon cancer-free for five years, just turned 10 years old, but the bigger picture and why this was started was clear, right? We have most of us out there have kids. And when you hear that, what little is being done to raise awareness via research for children's pediatrics, it's, there's just so little being done and so, so little in terms of drug discovery. So cannonballs, cancer, their main function is, is, is that research is the key, right? So, and I play my part in that by raising money mostly is what I do to raise awareness by raising money, holding you were at one member for my, I think it was my 40th birthday, you know, in lieu of a birthday party, I, I held a charity event and just asked people to, to donate to the cause. 
hold a golf event and donate to the cause. So it's, you know, when you give back, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I look, my kids, I've got three kids are very healthy and, you know, very thankful and grateful for that. And, you know, if I could, you know, raise money for this, for this cause to tell further the amount of money that's getting spent on research, you know, right. The goal is right. Is that someday we're talking about the cures for these, you know, children's pediatrics and that the you know, kids don't have to suffer or go through all the heartache that they go through. So yeah, that's probably, you know, the biggest one. There's others. I, you know, I coach kids soccer. A lot of my free time these days is mostly just doing, you know, whatever the kids are involved in. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. You are definitely a big family man. You want to just talk a little bit more about the cannonball golf tournament that's coming up, maybe share with anyone who listens that might be interested. You're doing it with Gilbane, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So it's our annual Gilbane uh, golf charity event being held uh, September 20th. This year, we're holding it down at uh, Union League National Course down the shore. Fabulous track down there. And yeah, we can get a link to the event posted in, in the show notes or whatever. Uh, but yeah. As of uh, we had a, a meeting earlier today, we do still have some some foursomes and some sponsorships available. Getting getting close to selling it out, but uh, yeah, we still do have some some spots left, and it's it's nice because it's a good combination of we get a lot of our subcontractor community out for it, and then we also get you know some of our clients and some of our owners to partake. Right, so you know the subs that are doing the work for us every day, you know, are getting to meet firsthand some of the clients that we're doing the work for. And, you know, we'll have a couple of people from the founding mom, Melissa, she'll be there to give, you know, the keynote speech and to talk a little bit about Cannonball, their mission and how, what you know, what we're doing and the money we're raising is, is where it goes to and how important the, the organization is. So, yeah, no, thank you. Absolutely. Good that. stuff. And why don't you share your email address too, just so people, if they're interested, yeah. So it's first initial is J and then M C C A R R O L L. And that's at gilbaneco.com, G I L B A N E C O.com. So first initial, last name, J McCarroll at gilbaneco.com. Great. And we'll have that in the show notes too. Yeah. Thank you. That'd be great. Good stuff. So, John, if somebody was looking to get into construction or just get into something that they're passionate about, but I'd like to focus more on construction and or, you know, construction management. What would your advice be to somebody to just follow their passion and just going after it? Yeah. And you know what? I know, you know, this is a lot of it's about the trades and I didn't come up the trade path personally, but I've got a lot of attachment to the trade path. Right. My dad, I'm a first generation American. And my, when my dad came to America, you know, the advice, he said the best advice he got was someone told him, and this is back in like early 60s, was to learn a trade and join a union. Now, we can have the union, non-union discussion later, but his, the advice was join a trade. Right. So for him, you know, uneducated, didn't graduate high school college wasn't an option. He, he was, you know, in a foreign country with very little money. So he went out and became a steam fitter, right? And that's, you know, through him 
joining that trade. And, you know, that's basically how he was able, you know, he met my mom and ultimately, you know, raised myself and four sisters. So family five benefited greatly from him joining the trade and growing up, right. He was a steam fitter, but, you know, he also knew plumbing. I had an uncle who was a bricklayer cousins who were carpenters. So I was around construction you know, we were all on the weekends, we're always doing renovations to someone's house or a small project or what have you. So I knew from a very young age that I wanted to be in construction. But I also knew right? I saw how hard my dad or my uncle or my cousins worked. And I knew that it was really hard work. And I knew that I wasn't that talented with my hands. So I mean, that's why I went the college path. But, you know, college isn't for anybody. And unfortunately, I think, you know, and you've talked about it many times on your show, too many times people, I think, just judge like society, like, hey, you know, go to high school, graduate and go to college. Like if college isn't for you, why spend the money? Why put yourself in debt? Right. I mean, some of the most successful people I know are people who went straight from high school to the trades, started their own companies and, Me too. you know, are, yep. are just killing it. But to answer your question, whatever it is you do, I think it goes back to is the goals, right? Figure out what you want to do, set those goals and create the roadmap or the path, right? It's the path's always going to change, right? Like my path brought me up to Lancaster, which turned out not to be the right path, but your path is always moving, but set the goals and kind of map it out. And finally, I think just continue to show up. A lot of it is just continue to show up day after day, put the right foot in front of the left foot. For me, I do a lot of it by having routines, right? I kind of structure everything and very schedule oriented, you know, just you and I here, right? Like coordinating when you do your podcast, when I'm available, how does that fit into my you know schedule? But yeah, set the goals, have your routines, continue to show up. And I think if you just continue to show up, honestly, people take notice and things will happen and you figure it out. Great share, man. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've said this a few other times too, showing up with the right attitude too. I mean, just the yeah, attitude's huge, huge, and, and, huge, you know, just, just willingness to want to learn. And, and uh, if, you, if you do that, the sky's the limit. I mean, yeah. You know, even though I went the college route, I'd say the majority of what I learned in this business that we do was being on site, and asking the plumber, the electrician, hey, what is that that you're doing? Why are you doing that, right? And it can be intimidating at times, but I think once you just ask that question, I mean, they're, they're the experts at their crafts, right? And they see it, right? Hey, if this is, you know, somebody really wants to learn, yeah, I'll show them, I'll explain it, right? And that's how, I mean, that's how I learned a lot of, of what goes into and in the construction projects and how all the pieces get put together, right? It wasn't, from the books that I, I learned in college, right? That's all theory. It was the application and literally standing there and just being a sponge with all the trades guys and understanding and just asking a lot of questions, right? A lot. Most of those people take such great pride in what they do. And if they see somebody just like you said, a willingness to learn, yeah, yeah, kid here, this is why we're doing this, or this is how this works. Right. And, you know, and you get to a point now you're sharing it with somebody else and people saying, how do you know how to do that? And you're like, I watched this guy do it for six weeks when I was on this job every day, I watched him do it. Right. Like, and that's, 
Yep. And, and kids, if you're listening, I mean, asking questions, you'd be surprised how many tradesmen or, or people in the field that just love to share their knowledge and just teach you and have the patience to show you. Just ask. Just ask. Yeah. Yeah. We just had our intern wrap up and they have to give a report on, on their summer and listen to some of those ladies and guys talk about their experience and right of just doing that. Right. Like, Hey, I went up this guy and he took me under his wing and every day at this time I would go and he would show me. Yeah. And it brings you back. You're like, wow. Yeah. I remember 20 years ago, that's what I was doing. Right. And that's how I learned it. So it's great to hear that, you know, that's still going on and, and, you know, just show up, you know, show up and willingness to learn having the energy. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, man. Hey, man, we've been trying to set this up for months and I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on. Did you have fun? I told you it'd be fun. Ah, I had a blast. Yeah, I had a blast. (laughs) Now you're going to get me back on LinkedIn, right? Trying to to pump up the, uh, pump up the reviews of this. Is that what I got to do now? Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Right. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of tied in. We didn't talk about, right. But desire and motivation, right. That's it. You've got that. You can move mountains. Um, no matter what you do, you know, you and I, we've talked offline a lot, right. About the mindset and right. If you just, and it doesn't happen easily. I mean, you have, like you said, I mean, it's discipline too, but you have your set goals and then you have your routine, right? You have your routine and and you got to be consistent with that routine. And if you are motivation, that just, just happens, just happens. Absolutely. It's been awesome, brother. Wow, it's been, I didn't realize I'm looking at the, the clock right now. How about that? That was, that was that the was quickest great. 45 minutes uh, that ever flew by. Wow. <laughs> Thanks again. And I will yeah. be talking to you soon, probably on the on the golf. On the golf course? Golf course. Yeah, man. All right. Take care, Nick. Thanks. Talk to you, man. See you, buddy. Hey. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Constructing Greatness Podcast. If you enjoyed what you've heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me directly at nicholasofac at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.